The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast, proudly brought to you, as always, by the SJP World Media Network. I am Sai. And joining me as always, literally six days in our little look back away from Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, of course, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? Really well, sir. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's pretty warm down in Gloucester still. Uh, but, you know, I started a new job. Just trying to fit in, sort of altering my recording schedule around my new work hours still trying to settle into a rhythm with that so everything's a bit up in the air so you and i danny are recording very late for us but by our standards isn't it normally we're sort of recording mid-afternoon but this is a well as as we press the little red button here it's it's, it's eight o'clock at night isn't it i think this is the latest we've ever recorded yeah we we did a um a little bonus about 11 o'clock uh one night i remember <laughs> uh, oh, other yeah. than that yeah i think i've been, been drinking Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I'll see if Daddy's still up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there we go. The nitro we are looking at today comes to us. Well, first came to us. Apologies. Live on the twenty-first of October, nineteen ninety-six, from a place called Mankato, Minnesota. I have never heard of that before. No, no, all I've heard about Minnesota is uh, Minneapolis. That's it. Mm. Mankato sounds made up. I'm not going to lie. It's, it sounds like somewhere where a cartoon family would live on the, on the telly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Flintstones type place. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's where apparently Nitro comes from. Unless of course you know, they're lying to us and they're making place names up, which I don't think they are. Uh, <laughs> on this particular evening, we had a little bit of an alteration in the TV ratings. Danny uh, Nitro received a 3.2 winning the night again, of course, because we're in the middle of their big run of winning Monday nights over and over again, which is a smidge down from last week. Not much though, just a smidge. Whereas raw, last week received a 1.8 in the ratings it's still lost tonight but this week he got a 2.6 so all of a sudden there's an extra chunk of people watching pro wrestling on this particular night isn't there 
yeah, definitely. That's just big news as well. Yeah, interesting stuff, mate. Interesting stuff. Uh, on Monday Night Raw, on this particular October evening, we had uh, the following. Psycho Sid defeated Owen Hart by disqualification. The Godwins defeated the Smoking Guns. And for the Intercontinental title, Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeated Mark Miro. Mark Miro was accompanied by Sable and Mr. Perfect, apparently. I don't remember Miro being accompanied by Mr. Perfect. Oh, no, that's, that must have been during his last final days there. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, we also had another segment where Jim Ross conducted an interview with Bret Hart, and uh, which Bret Hart stated he was going to be back in the WWF and had agreed to face Steve Austin at Survivor Series 1996, which, I mean, Austin, I'm sorry, Bret Hart by this point had been away Oh, six, seven, eight months, nine months, maybe. He's been away for a while because he was filming that TV show. Lone, is it Lonesome Dove? Something like yes. that he was filming? Yeah. He was away doing that for a while. Uh, Michaels has been carrying the company. He's been the number one guy for the for the majority of 1996. And, I mean, the WWF has been struggling, let's be honest. So it's interesting to see if uh, Brett can change what happens. And we know that the match at Survivor Series with Steve Austin in 96 is an absolute barnstormer. So if you've not seen that before, go and check it out. But it'd be interesting to see what happens to the weekly TV now once Brett returns and we go into the, uh, well, into 97 and the, you know, the Heart Foundation and all that good stuff there. But still not the greatest lineup on this particular evening, is it? If the highlight is an interview with Brett Hart. No. <laughs> I mean, no. when you, as you say those results, I think the highlight to me was Psycho Sid versus Owen Hart. Yeah, but it was the opener and it ended in a DQ. So you know it's not gone longer than like three, four minutes, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Uh, before we dive into this week's Monday Nitro, however, we've got the results from Monday Night Raw. A couple of days previously, there was another wrestling show, which uh, one of us likes to cover clue it's not me we will dive into now what happened on wcw saturday night wcw saturday night is brought to you by me scottish danny danny what have you got for us this week was uh quite historic um sad because we had a uh interview with arn anderson and woman uh saying that uh, elizabeth is no longer part part of the horseman anymore and said okay. that and they also said that lex luger has no guts ah uh, okay yeah so that mm. that was quite interesting especially as we head into the pay-per-view yeah um we also had um ddp pinning scotty riggs with the diamond cutter after the bout ddp cut a promo on facing eddie Guerrero at halloween havoc so that'll be interesting if i can dig that up yeah, definitely. Yeah. Ike Page is um, really finding his feet now, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. I mean, he's, compared to what he was last year, and that mm-hmm. feud with which we'll never review again is uh, the feud with the Booty Man. I mean, oh, that was rough, wasn't it? Oh dear me! Yeah, I don't ever want to have to re- go back to that ever. No. <laughs> <laughs> we also had Dean Malenko pinning Alex Wright. Um, we have Jeff Jarrett defeating Steve Armstrong via submission with the figure four, which he's really doing well at. Yeah. Um, we had the Faces of Fear defeating Mykinos and Bunkhouse Buck. Uh, we're, okay. we're only halfway done because 
<laughs> we had Lex Luger defeating Mark Starr, and hopefully that would be a competitive match, but I seriously doubt it. just the way you worded that your lack of optimism just really tickled me i don't know why i don't know why (laughs) we had my favorite at the minute ron stud pinning chavo guerrero with a suplex okay uh we had six defeating on somebody called unknown wrestler a with a spin kick so that'll be interesting to actually go back and see who that was (laughs) Called Wrestler A. Yeah. So, unknown Wrestler A. I'm assuming it may be a local guy, but I'll look yeah, that up. And that, that, that's what that'll, that'll be. That'll be like, yeah, local talent, I expect. Yeah. We had um, Chris Benoit pinning Sergeant Craig Pittman with, after a um, diving headbutt, which is always interesting. Mm. <laughs> and we had uh, Chris Jericho defeating uh, uh, Mar- Marcus Alexander Bagwell with a crossbody off the top rope, which is, I love that simple finish there. Yeah, I mean, well, Ricky Steamboat used that for a very long time, didn't he, as, as one of his finishes, and uh, uh, Tanahashi in New Japan uses a variation of that as well sometimes, obviously his finishes, you know, other moves have contributed to his finish, but he, he's used that sometimes to win matches as well, so yeah. I mean, ultimately, you think these guys, and Jericho's what, 225 pounds? Yeah. If he jumps off the top rope, with, you know, he's coming at you from, what, I don't know, seven, eight foot in the air, hits you in the chest and then crushes you to the floor. To me, that works as a finisher. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's simple stuff. And in a very interesting note here, in our main event, we were supposed to get Roadblock uh, versus Macho Man Randy Savage, but Randy Savage did not show up. So he was subbed for by somebody called Dale Wolf. I don't know if you know Dale Wolf. Sorry. Dale Wolf. Why does that name ring a bell? Interesting. Hmm. Okay. I mean, Roadblock, but, we see a bit of later on as well, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we certainly do. I mean, somebody just uh, put on Twitter a gif of uh, him doing his finisher, and it is awful. Spoiler, it's probably the worst finisher I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> okay, interesting. Uh, I've just had a quick look here. Uh, Dale Wolf, uh, yeah. born Barry Dale Wolf, so... No doubt Mr. Mags will say that's another Barry better than Wyndham. He, wor- <laughs> he worked as Mr. Wrestling 3 at one stage, also made occasional appearances uh, around the American independent circuit as Doink the Clown. Um, he's now long since retired, sort of 10, 10, 12 years ago. But yeah, he's a, it's sort of a bit of a jobber at WCW and uh, you know, around the Indies and the old end- some of the old NWA territories and world class he wrestled for and places like that. So yeah, there we go. Interesting. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> uh, what I did find interesting, though, Danny, at the beginning of this episode of Nitro, first of all, we get a recap of the Macho Man stuff from last week. The video of Miss Elizabeth uh, declaring her love for Savage and Savage not really knowing how to respond and walking away and all this weird goings on. But what I found interesting was what came after that. We've got Bobby Eaton come into the ring. Bobby Eaton wearing gear that's resembling, in a, in a very loose, roundabout way, some old Midnight Express tights. And he's working with Chris Jericho. And straight away, I was like, oh, okay, this has got my attention now. Uh, what did you think of this match, mate? Loved it. Um, yeah, Bobby Eaton has finally found a character. I mean, he was good as, as a 
in the Blue Bloods, but no, nah, this, this is the Bobby Eaton we need to see, especially all of this match. He was really putting over Chris Jericho, I found. It was like, this is the, the veteran working with the young guy. And yeah, they just both filled their roles really, really well. Yeah, I mean, Eaton is one of those guys where... Uh, <laughs> He's a wrestler's wrestler, I think, isn't he? Whenever yeah. you talk, whenever you hear interviews with people who have been in the ring with him or have been in the ring full stop, I guess, or you hear uh, wrestlers, you know, you, you might meet independent guys or whatever, and, and they might talk to you about their favorites growing up and so on. A lot of them mention Bobby Eaton. A lot of them say, go back and watch Bobby Eaton and so on. And obviously, big Midnight Express fan that I am, you know, the old Crockett days and, and so on. Watching the Midnights and the Rock and Roll and and what and the Fantastics you come up later on in in this program, Bobby Eaton was incredible, so so talented. Here, obviously, we're coming towards the trial end of '96. He's more advanced in years. He's not in peak physical condition. I mean, he was never a body guy anyway. He was never, you know, ripped or, or massively put together in that way. But here, he, you can tell he's a bit older. He's maybe a touch slower. He's not as trim as he once was. But it is, it's still there, isn't it? Yeah. Everything he did was so smooth. The, the the interactions with Jericho were perfect. Everything about this just clicked for me. It worked really, really well. Definitely. We, we also learned that Chris Jericho will be facing six at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc this Sunday, Si. Yes, this is true. This is true. And we know this. Um, well, we're told this, sorry. As we're also told, Sting is here on commentary we're told sting is here on this episode of nitro and i'm thinking uh, is he is he though uh and there's an nwo banner up in the crowd and six and the fake sting are there waving the round and trying to distract jericho and so on um, we also get the commentary team <laughs> expressing a lot of concern over randy savage and his mindset and his mental condition and so on uh, going into Halloween Havoc because it seems with Sting on the whole of WCW are pinning their hopes on Savage to go and win the title back from Hogan at the pay-per-view in a few days' time. Chris Jericho is hitting all of his usual spots. We get the springboard dropkick, we get the flying clothesline, we, we, we get all the usual Jericho moments. Eaton hits a really good-looking top rope knee drop. Uh, I mean, the guy... It was just so smooth. It was fantastic. Uh, Jericho actually ends up winning the match, though, with a top rope drop kick, which took me a bit by surprise, Danny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just as we said about the Saturday night results, um, Chris Jericho getting clean wins with moves that you would not think that would end the match. It's always a surprise, and we just love it. Mm. Yeah. After the match, though, I got the vibes of the NWO problems that... I've been trying to sort of trying to explain how I feel over the last few weeks here on Nitro Nights. We've got Chris Jericho wearing the the brightly colored tights and he's got the the bleached big you know big blonde hair that looks like he belongs in an 80s music video. And he's cutting a promo and he's talking. And it's, it's, the promo was nonsense, really. In comparison to where Jericho ends up, he's obviously, he's obviously confident enough here to cut a promo. But he's, he's nowhere near as good as we know what Jericho can deliver in, in later years in his career. And he's talking about, you know, it's time for everyone to stand up and fight back and all this sort of stuff. And we, we're looking at Jericho do this. And then we cut to six in the crowd 
his direct opponent on Sunday. And six is there with sunglasses on, a bandana, the black hair hanging in his face, the bit of a beard going on, the black leather jacket, the NWO shirt. And he just looks fucking cool. Yeah. And then we go back to Jericho, (laughs) who's the guy we're supposed to be cheering for. And Jericho just doesn't look cool. It just, and again, it comes back to that issue, I think, of you got certain baby faces. It's difficult for the crowd to to get behind and cheer because the NWO are just so great. Yeah, no, well said, mate. And this is um, we can say. I mean, if you're wrestling in this era, you definitely see it as a problem. But we are entertained as well by it because we're just like, oh man, this is fantastic. That how are these baby faces going to actually? Are they going to actually have to work harder? to overcome this but at the same time I, if i was resting in this era i would be a bit pissed off it'd be like i was supposed to be the baby face cheer me damn it <laughs> well this is it uh, and the big thing for me it, the, obviously this is october 96 of course and we're going in date order of every show and so on so at the moment wsw's flying high it's making loads of money and it goes on to make even more money in 97 and then even more money again in '98, and create creatively, it's it's on a you know an upward spiral here. It's it's getting better and better and better, and continues to do so for a while. There are obviously some massive missteps along the way, of course there are, but for this period, the NWO is the hottest thing in wrestling, and rightfully so. So I'm not saying that things necessarily have to change. I'm not saying that they should have done things differently because they make a shit ton of cash over the next couple of years. My issue more so is that yeah, I suppose it, I suppose it is what you said. Maybe some of the baby faces need to try harder. Maybe they need to do different things with it. I mean, we look at say what we know is going to happen with the Sting character, and then what what does end up happening with the DDP character? They change. They become a bit edgier. They become a bit more easier to root for. I guess yeah. more from the WCW roster should do that maybe is that i think that's kind of what i'm trying to say i guess yeah yeah totally yeah okay uh, after this match we get a promotional video hyping up ray mysterio uh, he is going to be defending his cruiserweight title at the pay-per-view against dean malenko and dean malenko is up next and he is taking on a guy named jimmy graffiti who as he walked through the curtain I had absolutely no idea who he was. No idea whatsoever. Uh, you, do you know who Jimmy Graffiti is, Danny? This is one I actually forgot to look up because I wanted to see if this guy had appeared um, in any other promotions. But no, um, is he someone famous? He, You probably know him from SummerSlam 1993. Yeah. When the Steiners wrestled the Heavenly Bodies. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, and Steiner's parents were at ringside. Yeah, that's right. And you yeah. had Bruce Pritchard's brother, Dr. Tom Pritchard, was one half yeah. of the Heavenly Bodies. His tag team partner, Jimmy Del Rey, that's Jimmy Graffiti. Oh, wow. Now, you could have told me that before he walked out, and I still wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> wow. That is just mind-blowing. I mean, it what is. a character change from that to that. It is. It is very much so. And I mean, at this stage as well, he's he's not a young man, but he's coming out dressed like a knockoff version of Public Enemy. And Public Knock Knockoff at the best times anyway. 
it doesn't quite work for me. No. I, I think this is just a case of um, get Di Malenko uh, a win on television and just have him against someone um, that's not going to be sticking around for long because I, I can't, I don't think I've ever heard of Jimmy Graffiti in no. uh, the annals of WCW or anywhere, to be honest. No, nor me, nor me. I was very surprised when I saw this guy. So even more surprised when I realized who it was. But there we go. <laughs> uh, the match starts well with, I mean, and again, we're, we're here criticizing the guy, but he holds his own here for a little bit with Dimalenko. He goes hold for hold with Dimalenko. Some good, uh, some good mat wrestling and some good counter mat wrestling to begin with. Um, Dimalenko eventually takes control with a chin lock before Jimmy Graffiti fights back. Uh, and hits a pretty good-looking powerbomb, and then a kind of thrust-kick effort as well. Before Jimmy Graffiti tries to kind of slide out the ring under the bottom rope, and ends up kind of on the announce table, which I don't think he realised was there when he went to go do that, because literally a couple of seconds later, he tried the same thing again a bit further along, and managed to slide out the ring. So I'm assuming he just lost his bearings a little bit there, Danny, maybe. Yeah, he certainly did. And I think um, Larry Sabisco got a bit cheesed off there, didn't he? <laughs> oh, what a surprise. Larry got grumpy. Um, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Graffiti misses a drop kick uh, before Dean Malenko hits a huge, big belly to back suplex, then a vertical suplex uh, before Dean Malenko tries a cross, oh, well, he hits a cross body and they both tumble over the top. And Jimmy Graffiti takes a little bit of a nasty bump, to be honest, on the apron there on the way down. Um, as they get back into the ring, Jimmy Graffiti attempts a top rope drop kick, which Malenko, well, he catches his legs, counters it into the cloverleaf, and wins via submission. Pretty good, I thought. Pretty good stuff. It really was, mate. And we also, um, I think it was just before the finish of this, we get a shot of uh, Bogus Sting uh, filming um, in from the crowd. So he's also taking yeah. notes as well. <laughs> yeah, they've always got a cam... Kevin Nash has got a camcorder later on in this episode as well. I think they're always filming bits and bobs, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, you just have to wonder, where are those videotapes now? Well, yeah, there you go. They wouldn't know <laughs> they'd have anything to play them on, would they, really? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, up next, and we're flying through the matches again, similar to how we have been on the last couple of weeks of Night Monday Nitro. We're getting a lot of wrestling on our wrestling show, which I am a big fan of. We have Darren Dallas Page, and he is taking on a guy who, amazingly, Tony Schiavone describes before he makes his entrance as one of the best mat wrestlers in our sport. Sergeant Craig Pittman. Fuck off, Tony. <laughs> oh. I think I don't think I was as shocked as that as more than I was shocked that Sergeant Craig Pittman actually has pyro now, Si. I didn't even notice. I was too busy <laughs> laughing after Tony Schiavone called him one of the greatest mat wrestlers in our sport. Literally, <laughs> literally the match after, Dean Malenko has just been in the ring. Come on, Schiavone. You know, it's <laughs> what are you trying to do? Yeah, he definitely was putting on a bit there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we get the sort of standard Diamond Dallas Page, rough style, brawling. Uh, everything's a little bit clunky, a little bit off, but it kind of works for him, kind of style to his to his offense here. Um, before we get a weird spot where Diamond Dallas Page covers his opponent, uh, Pippen kicks out on two, 
Page flows in the air from the uh, from the kickout and lands on Nick Patrick, who is refereeing, and the crowd pop. They go batshit crazy for Nick Patrick getting, you know, DDP on his back. Which, again, we're still doing the whole neck brace. Is Nick Patrick an evil referee? Is he under a mask on Saturday night for the NWO and all this sort of stuff? Uh, I, I like it. It's a good bit of fun, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, and I just love the fact that. Anytime any wrestler goes near Nick Patrick, the crowd are just exploding. They should milk this for all they can. Mm, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, the, the finish basically comes, though, when Teddy Long, for some unknown reason, gets up on the ring apron. I've got no idea what he's trying to achieve, as his man applies the code red armbar. Apparently, Paige gave up, but because we're not in the era of openly tapping yet and you can verbally give up the commentators are trying to say we heard him give up even though you know there's ten thousand people in this arena and Paige is a good eight foot away from them but never mind we'll believe them and <laughs> by the time nick patrick turns around after dealing with teddy long uh, ddp has reached the ropes as uh, as pitman is arguing with the referee page stands up turns around hits diamond cutter wins the match it, it worked from the premise that Long was the distraction and then Page hits the diamond cutter and it's over. That I understand. But at the same time, I don't understand why Long was on the apron. What was he trying to get the referee's attention for? You know, I, I don't. I know he, he's having these arguments back and forth and we see another one here after the match where you have Teddy Long and Nick Patrick arguing in the ring after the decision. And we've seen that quite a few times recently here on Nitro Nights, but I, I don't see what they're trying to achieve with this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that point as well, because this isn't going to lead to Nick Patrick versus Teddy Long. Um, oh God, I, I bloody hope not. <laughs> I can't see that happening, but um, maybe it was just something for Nick Patrick to do while, um, the NWO story is still brewing for him. This is something to, I mean, because he's going to be out there all night anyway. He might as well feud with somebody, have a mini feud. But um, yeah, I just can't see this going anywhere. Next up, we have a recap of the NWO attacking Ric Flair a few weeks ago. And then a recap of the Jeff Jarrett promo on the Giant saying he was going to step in for Flair, at Halloween Havoc and so on the following week. This then takes us to the ring where we see Ron Studd coming out and I my eyes instantly roll and I know you would have been very, very happy, Danny. Absolutely, yes. I mean, this guy, we've seen him, I think, wrestle about two or three times now on Nitro and he, he just wrestles as a big man. I mean, there's no nothing flashy about him. He's giant and he had one of the most historic debuts in uh wrestling history that still gets played today as the mummy didn't he <laughs> yes he did mm. he is taking on jeff jarrett ron Studd, that is and it's obvious that at the moment wsw are thinking well if somebody is going to wrestle the giant at a big event we'll give them ron Studd the week before and then we can go well this is good because they can get their homework in or something <laughs> to that degree uh rick flair suddenly turns up though we haven't seen him since the nwo attack three weeks ago and we get a kind of strut off between Jarrett and Flair. They take it in turns, do their different struts. And then there's a bit of a handshake. Flair gets out the ring. And then Stud tries to slam 
Jeff Jarrett. And we get a very short match, which involves a suplex attempt by uh, Ron Sturd, which gets blocked by Jarrett before Jarrett suplexes Ron Sturd. And that was bloody spectacular, I thought, Danny. Oh, it really was, man. I mean, it's always impressed to see somebody like this just go up in the air. Um, I did question the fact that why did Ron Studd just wait outside and watch Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett do a, a strut off and Ric Flair kind of endorsed Jeff Jarrett to the crowds. But we all know it's, um, it's pretend wrestling, isn't it? But I was just wow. like, why is he just standing there watching? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I <laughs> I thought that we weren't going to get the match. I thought when Flair came out, we were going to get uh, maybe a, a, a promo battle back and forth or a chat between the two or, or something, and then that would be it. But the fact that we still got the match, I was quite surprised about. Uh, I thought maybe Ron Studd had made his easiest pay packet of his career this night, but no, he, he still had to go to work. Um, yeah. <laughs> after the big suplex by Jarrett, we have the bigger four leg lock and Jarrett wins. Tony Schiavone then interviews Jeff Jarrett and he says... Uh, no more defense anymore from WCW. We need to go with offense and uh, we're going to attack you and the horsemen are coming for you and all this sort of stuff. Ric Flair comes back and also has a little bit of mic time saying he's going to be in Jeff Jarrett's corner at Halloween Havoc, which is a nice touch, I feel. Yeah, it really is. And if you compare Ric Flair last year, where he said he was going to be in Sting's corner, look what happened. So are we in for trouble, Si, this Sunday? Well, maybe. You can't trust a horseman, can you? No. <laughs> you can't trust a horseman. A, a part of me, being a little bit sadistic maybe, kind of wanted to see Ron Studd suplex Jeff Jarrett, though. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a bit of a shame that that was blocked. Yeah, it really was. I'm sure Dan Griffin would love it as well. Uh, well, apparently it's caused a little bit of dissension in the Griffin household because Cam <laughs> Griffin messaged me uh, a little while back. He's one of the Nitro Knights listeners and you know he's, he's bought merch for the show, which helps support the network and with all the fees it takes to get these shows out. So hugely appreciative to him and everyone else who has done that, by the way. Cam messaged me to say he's had to message his brother Dan and explain that he actually doesn't mind Jeff Jarrett here. So I hope we're not causing any family feud or conflict, Danny. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> uh, this then takes us to hour two. And the way we have been built up, I suppose, by Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco is, is that hour two is, you know, where the spectacular happens. You know, we're, we're going to see Luger. Randy Savage is supposed to be here. Sting, we're told, might even be here for hour two. In previous weeks and months, Hour two is built up like the, I suppose, the headline 60 minutes of the show. So we're looking forward to some big names, big matches, spectacular action. And the first thing we see is a guy called fucking Roblox. <laughs> Making his uh, WW Nacho debut here. I love Mate, the Bobby way he Heenan. moved. Sorry, the way he moved. It didn't look like his Nitro debut. It looked like his wrestling debut. Has this guy <laughs> been in the ring before? Yes, he'd been, he'd wrestled uh, Dale Wolf on the previous Saturday night. Oh, well, yeah. if you can call that a wrestling match, but um, yeah, I loved Bobby Heenan just randomly screaming, "What is that?" When he looked at <laughs> um, Roadblock. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, this is now 1996. We've got Hollywood Hogan, the NWO, and all that sort of great stuff. The guy here, Roadblock. He is uh, legit, shoot, six foot ten. He is a monster. 
and he's as wide as he is tall. I think they can, I think they described him as being over four hundred pounds. I don't yeah. know how accurate that was, but he can't be far off tipping the scales on that. To me, it's a matter of timing again because if this guy was maybe ten years younger, he'd have a, well, not ten years younger. If he was around ten years previously, then shall we say in eighty six as opposed to ninety six, he'd have probably had a main event run with Hogan and made a lot of money. Oh yeah. Oh, big time. You could really see that. And he would be one of those 80s WWF uh, monster heels. But here, yeah, you've just summed it up perfectly. <laughs> His ring gear doesn't match as well. I don't know what he's trying to do with that. He comes out with a big road sign draped around his neck. The one thing he's got going for him, well, apart from his size, the one thing he's got going for him is his hair, to be fair. He's got pretty good hair. So that's at least something to work with, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um <laughs> Uh, the fact that part of this, I mean, I suppose we better get on to his opponent. He's facing Lex Luger here, which, you know, when Luger's music hit, I was a bit like, uh-oh, this could be terrible. Because Luger, as much as I love the guy, uh, Luger's best matches come when he is fired up, he's motivated, and he sometimes needs somebody there just to help him along a little bit. And we're talking about a guy here, Roadblock, who doesn't look like he, he knows his arse from his elbow. So it's, I was a bit like, oh, this could be terrible. Um, the match is punctuated with a Arn Anderson promo, picture-in-picture picture effort there. Arn talks about how time is running out for Luger. The hourglass has been turned, the sands are falling, and so on. And he's going to see him at Halloween Havoc. He's already heard him say the words, I quit, referencing back, of course, to the War Games match. And he said he, he's going to make Luger say it again come Halloween Havoc. Again, great promo by Arn Anderson. He low-key stole this match, I think, for me. And it it yeah. seemed like it wasn't even fully intense, um, starey, in, intimidating, 100% fully invested Arn Anderson to me. It was almost like they just said, Arn, come here, cut a quick promo, and he just banged something out quickly. That's what yeah. it came across to me. But even that is better than nine-tenths of the guys on the roster for me. Oh, definitely. And it's certainly better than watching Roadblock in the ring, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, we'll, we'll talk a, a couple of moments here that didn't quite go to plan. Um, the general theme of the match is that Luger is big and strong, but Roadblock is a massive lump. Can Luger move him? Uh, we do get a pretty good power slam at one point from Luger. That looked quite good on a guy that size. But, uh, I mean, the, the, the first time I looked at it and thought, oh dear, was when Luger, Luger was in the corner with Roadblock and Roadblock grabbed Luger's wrist and put his hand on his back as if to send him for an Irish whip. It's something that wrestling fans have seen uh, millions of times. It happens in every single match. As Roblox went to send him in for the Irish whip, he just stopped. But Luger, in his mind, is being sent to the other corner for the Irish whip. In a similar way, Sting would send somebody over there for a Stinger splash, I guess. So Luger just starts running. And <laughs> it, just, it, just <laughs> it, just, it just looks so silly because Roblox was just... It's like in the cartoons when you know the cartoon bad guy grabs the goodie or, like, you know... Wally Coyote will grab the Roadrunner and the Roadrunner will disappear. And the road and Wally Coyote has still got his hands in the same position, assuming that, that Wally Coyote is sorry, that Roadrunner is still there. 
that's what it was like. Uh, Roblox was still had his hands in the same position, thinking Luger was still there. Luger was already on the other side of the ring at this point. You know, that was that was a bit daft. Um, but what followed was even worse because Roblox then <laughs> ran over and splashed Luger in the corner. And then goes to send Luger over to the other corner. <laughs> he goes to send Luger over to the other corner. And in my mind, having watched as much wrestling as I have, and I'm assuming in Luger's mind, having worked as many matches as he has, you're assuming the same thing is going to happen. You're going to get sent over to the other corner. Or I'm assuming anyway, Luger's going to get sent over to the other corner. And then Roadblock is going to run in and splash him again. We've seen it with every big guy in wrestling, from Yokozuna down to Bundy, down to, to whoever, haven't we, Danny? Yes, absolutely. And I can honestly say the finish of this um, is chain wrestling Hall of Lame worthy. I have a feeling wow. that this guy will be in the Hall of Lame very, very soon. <laughs> well, before we get to the finish, let's just finish up about these Irish whips and the corners yeah. and so on. And I want to give Lex Luger a bit of praise here. The second time Luger is sent from corner to corner across the ring diagonally and Roadblock, you think, is going to run in and squash him again, like Yokozuna, like Earthquake, like Typhoon, like all these massive guys in the past. Luger goes, hits the ropes, stands there and he's waiting for Roadblock to run in and splash him again, whether Luger is going to move and start his comeback or whether Luger is going to take this. Whatever happens is, is going to happen. Roadblock just stands there. He doesn't follow Luger into the corner. So Luger's kind of just sat in the corner, or slumped in the corner, wondering what the hell is going to go on. Roadblock is just staring blankly at him at this point. And it's a case of, okay, there's been a big miscommunication here. Everyone's kind of looking at each other, not really knowing what the fuck to do. And this is where I want to sing the praises of Lex Luger a little bit. He decides, right, I'm going to take charge here. And Luger gets up out the corner, does his big flex, so the crowd start calling his name and che cheering him, steps towards Roblox, and as he does this, Roblox even then is like a deer in headlights. He doesn't quite know what to do. And you, and again, I'm singing Luger's praises for this. It's quite obvious that he's spot calling here to, to the yeah. level of to the level of John Cena in in the you know mid to in the mid to late 2000s, whatever it may well have been. He he was doing it because you can quite easily clearly see Luger shouting, "Hit me!" punch me but i feel that luger has to do this because roadblock has just stood there just like a multi-colored fucking marshmallow in wrestling gear <laughs> not really knowing what to do so luger's got to do something so he, he so he asks you know he tells roadblock okay hit me he blocks that and then starts punching away and that's when he then decides we're going to the finish he hits the power slam and uh he then goes to try and rack this guy now this finish is a mess. Yeah. Because this guy is massive and Luger's going to try and rack him. To me, there's two schools of thought you can apply to this finish. One, Luger shouldn't have tried it because this guy is so big, win the match another way. But on the other side of the coin, I suppose it's his finish and Luger's probably backing his own strength. He's very proud of his body and his ability to lift certain amounts of weight and so on. Uh, or two, the way this went actually worked in Luger's favor, oddly, because he tried to rack him three separate times. The first two, you could only get him half up before dropping him. 
Now, it could have been quite easy for someone like Luger, who at times, as I've said, needed guiding in the ring in his early career, as everyone does, of course. But, yeah. you know, Luger, I think he can quite easily just coast along if he's not pushed. Here, Luger's reacting to the crowd. He's asking the crowd, shall I try again? Yeah. He shrugged when he dropped in the second time. He looked straight at the hard cam and all the fans and shrugged his shoulders as if to say, "Bloody hell, I don't know if I can do it," you know. And the crowd got behind him because of that. And I think, well done, Lex Luger, because you took control of that match when something obviously had gone wrong, and you had this younger guy, less, you know, much, much less experienced fellow, losing his way. And then when you couldn't actually complete the finish that, that you were trying to do initially. He turned it into something with the audience rather than standing there and looking like a looking like a, an, an idiot himself before eventually getting him up to the rack and winning via submission. So, yeah, this is a fucking mess. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I'm, I'm trying to look on the positive side of things. Does that make sense? No. Yeah, no. Um, now you've said that, that's just I've just um shocked because like you're right Lex Luger kind of did look like to the crowd and was like should I do this again and they were much more invested by the third time that he did it and yeah so from you saying it from a psychological standpoint it definitely looked like Lex Luger um, well he obviously did struggle but him getting the fans behind him made it all the better for him but yeah yeah yeah, right. and just to go on um, Roadblock, he um, only wrestled uh, two matches before, well, three matches before this in his entire career. So this was his fourth. You're kidding me. <laughs> and the worst thing is two of them were back in 1991. So <laughs> he had a this, bit of time that, off. That, that can't be right, surely. No. Why? Um, That's insane. He wrestled in Japan um, yeah. as Rochester Roadblock uh, for two matches in 1991, took five years off, and then was hired by WCW, wrestled Dale Wolf, and then six days later wrestled Lex Luger. That is amazing. That Honestly, I can't get my head around that. That is insane. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to do a bit of research and check. I'm not that I dis have a reason to disbelieve you, Danny. Of course, but this is according to Pro uh, Pro Fight IMDb, which is um like a a uh, information hub for wrestlers, but it's pretty reliable. But yeah, he could have wrestled here and there, and it might not be written, oh, written down. Word. But his professional he's on, uh, record he's on... is basically he'd only won one match in his entire uh, run up to this point. Dear me, dear me. Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he was just hired because of his looks? I. Oh fuck yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent, he was hired because of his look. Yeah, of course. I don't understand why he's anywhere near a live TV show. Mm. I mean, Saturday night's yeah. taped. You know, WWE Saturday night's taped. Stick him on there all you want. The shocking thing is, he was supposed to debut against the Macho Man uh, on that Saturday night, but Macho Man did a no-show in Storyline. I'm wondering now if he did a no-show in uh, real life after seeing this guy practice. <laughs> <laughs> he probably looked, it up, looked up his record and a look at his Japan work. 
and sort of, you know, said to Bischoff, mm, I don't know, brother. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't quite work for me. <laughs> That's the worst match of my life. <laughs> and no one would blame you. Oh, man. Uh, we get an advert next for the NWO t-shirt, um, which seems to be the only merch they ever push on WCW, which is interesting. Um, also, by the way, very quickly, we're, we're talking about t-shirts and so on all the time. Obviously, Google devices and so on, that they hear what you're talking about. I've started getting adverts for these obscure t-shirt making companies in like Korea and Africa and so on, <laughs> making NWO gear. This is on my phone and my Facebook and the network's Facebook popping up all over the place. But you know, buy this Hulk Hogan NWO shirt for £1.49 plus postage and all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, for the sake of a couple of quid, shall I do it? Just to see what it's like. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should do a review of that one day, so <laughs> Yeah dodgy foreign merch uh i'll tell you what is incredibly dodgy though is what follows the nwo shirt ad uh lee marshall is in phoenix which is lovely for him and he's rang in to tell us something i don't know what and i watched this segment and i still don't really know what he wants to tell us it was very hard to um understand this to be honest with you he was talking very fast um he chatted about the weather, he chatted about this and that, and it was like, oh, um, it was kind of pointless. It went on a bit, didn't it? Mm. I don't get it. I just don't see the point, <laughs> but I, I don't know. There we go. Uh, up next, we have tag team action with our champions, the Harlem Heat, not defending their titles. Actually, it's a non-title contest. And they're taking on the American Males. Now, Scotty Riggs has been out injured for quite a while. He's obviously wrestled on Saturday night, as, as you let us know, Danny, with your recap of that program earlier. But what hit me here, and maybe this is something that would be interesting for our, our listeners and our friends on, on Twitter and so on to, to do. What hit me here is how the American Males look so outdated here in October of 96. Whereas 12 months ago, October of 95, when we were watching them back or September, whenever it may well have been in, in the early days of Nitro Nights. Yeah, they were a bit silly, but they actually, they actually looked the part. They didn't look wrong in that era because WCW has moved on so much in that 12 month period. It might be interesting for people to go and... I mean, Harlem Heat, as another example, Harlem Heat wrestling in, you know, 12 months ago, October of 95, they look exactly the same as they do now, you know, realistically, and they still got bloody Colonel Parker in tow and all that nonsense. <laughs> but here we are in October of 96. They don't look out of place. They no. still look the part. Whereas WCW has changed so much in that 12 months. I think it might be interesting to go back and listen to an old episode, maybe October... 95 episode a random one of nitro nights check out a random nitro from 95 as well just to go back and compare within that in mind of looking at a monday night raw from october of 95 in comparison to a monday night raw from october of 96 because i bet there's not much difference between the two raws in that 12 month period whereas wcw is spectacularly different isn't it Oh, big time, eh? And Rel said, because it was only a couple of weeks ago, you were saying, um, as you were recapping, that T.L. Hopper 
was uh, wrestling on Monday Night Raw, so things definitely couldn't have changed that much. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, This match begins just with Stevie Ray showing how bloody powerful he is. It's insane how strong this guy is. I mean, Booker T is a big dude, but Booker T is the smaller brother. So that gives you an idea of how massive Stevie Ray is. Uh, We do get a cool (laughs) moment with Marcus Bagwell hip-tossing Stevie Ray over the top. And he gets a nice backdrop, and and it's a great drop kick he throws, Danny, isn't it? Oh, it really is, mate. And these two tag teams just know each other so well because they've been wrestling since um, the inception of Nitro a year ago. They've been having solid matches here and there, and it's term in terms of so they would know each other so well. Um, Bagwell is on fire in this match and has a great babyface comeback, and yeah. yeah Love this match. Yeah, it, it, it was decent. It was decent. Uh, you can see, I think, that Bagwell is the star of that. He's he's the Ricky Morton of this team, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, you know, he's, he's got a bit more to him than his partner, I think. Um, there is a really impressive powerbomb on Bagwell, though. It looked like he damn near went through the canvas. He hit the, he hit the mat so hard as Harlem Heat took over for a while. Uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are in the crowd, waving and, and mocking the Harlem Heat, as always. Before it all kind of breaks down, everyone's in the ring scrapping. Um, Sherry and Colonel Parker are up on the apron and trying to get in the ring, and Sherry's led on the floor at one point. Before we get a, a to me, a, a real mess. Um, Riggs is being pinned. Bagwell half steps into the ring, looking literally right in front of the hard cam. There's no reason why he can't get to his his partner and break up the count. It looks like he wants to and then stops, which makes him look ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. And, and it, it makes the match and finish look ridiculous as well. It makes it look so, you know, choreographed and, and, and you know, predetermined, and so, which obviously it is. But you know what I'm getting at before. Eventually, he does decide he's going to break it up. The referee it looks like he's counted three, but then has Bagwell broke it up? Has his partner got his shoulder up? Has the has I think it's Stevie Ray maybe who's making the pin. He looks like he actually gets off his opponent before the three count. The ref half-assed points for the bell. The bell <laughs> rings and they decide it's a three count, and and just very quickly move on. Uh, what did you think of this finish, Danny? It was very odd. Um, I feel like maybe there was like a timing issue or miscommunication mm. of something like that, but it did it didn't spoil the match for me because um, these two are just fantastic as as uh, opponents. But yeah, a bit of an odd one there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we're told though very quickly, I, you know, partially because it's exciting and we're building up and building up to what's going to come. But also I think maybe as a nice distraction to the mess we just seen sting is in the building. Oh my word. We haven't seen this guy for a little while. And then Eric Bischoff, you know, kind of, you know, pisses on the chips a little bit by saying, but it's not what you think. And they go to an advert and it's like, Oh, all right. Cheers, Eric. When we come back from the <laughs> advert, he says, Oh, it's the NWO sting. And they like, you bastard. <laughs> since oh, the start of this episode it. since the start of this episode of Nitro you've been telling people Sting's here Sting's gonna wrestle and then he's like oh 
actually it's that fake dude we had in a little while ago who looks a little <laughs> bit looks a little bit like sting if you haven't got your glasses on and you squint a bit or you turn the contrast on your telly down a touch that kind you know it's just like god damn it bischoff you know <laughs> it's a ratings um ply it's like don't change the channel you're gonna see sting yeah technically you're gonna see sting but it's not the sting you know <laughs> mm, or is it Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what comes next is really interesting to me because the faces of fear wrestle it's another tag team contest so the faces of fear all right barbarian and meng they're wrestling the fantastics in 1996 this blew my mind i was like what the hell is going on yeah shocked um the fantastics were they a memphis tag team uh, yeah, they worked. They worked a bit in Memphis. They worked in uh, world class. I'd imagine because they worked Memphis and world class, they probably worked the UWF as well because those companies all kind of merged together and, and cross border and all that sort of stuff. Um, I know they worked Crockett and the, and the old NWA circuit as well. Uh, and if you're interested in checking some Fantastics matches out. Uh, I can recommend their match against the Sheep Herders, who became the Bushwhackers in the WWF. But before they were comedy wrestlers, they were the Sheep Herders, and they were a different kettle of fish. They were just crazy New Zealand you know, violent types. And they had a pretty big, long-running feud in the mid-80s. And I think it, uh, your best bet is to look it up, Danny, but I'm fairly certain yeah. it's the very first Clash of the Champions. Oh, Okay. Oh, which will be check that out after. yeah it will be mid 80s i want to say 86 but i could be wrong with my and people on people will be screaming at their podcast players and i <laughs> you know you got it wrong saw so you bloody idiot whatever but i'm doing this off the top of my head it's a fantastics versus the sheep herders i'm fairly certain it's the very first clash of the champions event uh that's very 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 good and also the fantastics had a 40 minute match with the midnight express and again, if if you just type in the Fantastics onto the network, go, go check some stuff out for for yeah. you know Crockett, the NWA, and all that stuff back in the eighties. Their work with the Rock and Roll, their work with the Midnights, and all this. They were very very good indeed. Um, but this match, I'm not sure if it's on the network because it was for a TV taping, and they haven't got all of the TV tapings from that era up and available. But I'm fairly certain you can find it on YouTube. It might be in two parts. It might be in like two 20, 25-minute parts. But the Fantastics versus the Midnight Express is just fucking sublime. It, it, it's tag wrestling. Back back then, you know, the Midnight's I'm a big fan of anyway. But back then, tag wrestling was just so, so good. You know, it, it's and it was... <sighs> there's a lot of wrestling now wrestlers now sorry tag teams now who i think when it comes to psychology planning a match making it make sense and getting heat on the heels and having the crowd invested in the baby faces which ultimately then sells tickets and makes money that a lot of tag teams nowadays as athletic and as entertaining as they are i think could learn a great deal from the likes of the midnight the rock and roll um the fantastics and all this sort of stuff you know but yeah. that's just you know but there you go clash of the champions won and their match uh, matches against the midnight's well worth checking out yeah a lot of tag teams in present day could learn a great deal i think um well for a start there's not 47 fucking backflips in it young bucks i'm looking <laughs> at you um anyway 
<laughs> this match is just about the power of the faces yeah. of fear, isn't it? Um, there's some really brutal moments, some, some power bombs, and I mean that the one that was was a backdrop into a power bomb. Danny, talk us through that because that was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. I mean, Barbarian. I found that this match was more for the fact of getting shine on Barbarian more than Meng. But I mean, they both definitely just threw these guys around the Fantastics. Um, Meng here, really violent looking power driver as well. Um, and the Fantastics selling was just beautiful throughout this. Um, but then they did get their baby face come, come back as well. And yeah, the faces of fear just uh, stopped that very quickly and just chucked one of them into <laughs> the other, <laughs> which yeah. I'm always a fan of. And then faces of fear get the pin after Meng just basically boots one of their heads, and um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gets the pin. It's, it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like the way you explained that to somebody who's not seen this match, that would sound like you didn't really know what to say it sounds like <laughs> you don't really have the words to explain what you saw but i can tell people who have maybe not watched this episode of nitro and if not why not you should be watching along with us you'll have so much more fun um yeah the way danny's explained that there is exactly the finish he just boots the guy in the head <laughs> <laughs> and it's brilliant <laughs> it really is <laughs> Dear uh-huh. me. Uh, after this we get um the news that Matchman Randy Savage is not there. He's not arrived. Uh, Eric Bischoff decides to show the tape of Liz from last week again, where she, bear in mind, Bischoff is apologizing to Savage's family and Liz's family and people who he has hurt by maybe showing this video. And, and Bischoff is, you know, he's going for this is his Oscar performance here. He's got a tear in his eye and he's thinking, I'm going to win an award for this shit. He is sat there going, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have, you know, I, I upset families and this, that, the other. I'm really sorry that I showed this footage last week. I've obviously, obviously upset Randy. It's caused Liz problems. It's caused their family problems. I'm devastated. I'm heartbroken, but here we go. I'm going to show it again. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's, um, Bischoff, uh, yeah, you can definitely tell he's getting his acting chops in, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is indeed. He is indeed. Uh, he then says there's more footage to come. So obviously, again, we're doing that similar to the talk of Sting early in the show. And I guess as well, talk about the Matra Man. Will he be here or not? And so on. It's that in-show hook, isn't it? It's like... A lot of wrestling that does well when it comes to TV wrestling, TV shows, Monday Night Raw was a great example in the Attitude Era. You'd quite often have a hook at the end of the program. You'd have your what, what you call your cliffhanger, I suppose. And, you know, for those in the UK or, or anywhere else in the world that have seen it, um, for example, on EastEnders, the dun, 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 yeah. dun moment at the end of the episode that makes you want to tune in the following, following day, week, whenever it may well be. Here we're getting some during the show from Bischoff. Uh, well, not just Bischoff, the the commentators earlier on in the episode as well, but obviously they're fed the lines by Bischoff. The sort of in-show hooks. Don't go away because this might happen. Don't go away because this will happen. Don't go away because you're going to see this. And here we are, this whole thing with Savage. Oh, Savage isn't here yet, but don't go away. We have more footage for you. Mm. And it's really clever, I think, in trying to make sure that those people who have turned over to Nitro don't turn back to Raw. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can really see an effort is being made. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, so then, next up, we have, well, I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll let you talk us through this one here, Danny. We have yeah. a match between, well, two guys that in theory we haven't seen for a little while, but it's not strictly true, is it? <laughs> two wrestlers that are cosplaying because everyone knows that this fake sting isn't sting and everyone knows jl is jerry lynn so we have jerry lynn well jl versus the fake sting up next and um yeah i enjoyed this for what it was because it was more of an angle than an actual match um i mean it was a match but so we have um as soon as the fake sting came out, I was just like, oh, yeah, Eric Bischoff wasn't lying, was he? Um, immediately, he, he locks a, um, a a Scorpion Deathlock on JL. And then JL, I think he tapped before something massive happens. Oh, wait, it's Sting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love no. this uh, this segment. I had never seen or heard of this segment before. I was just, but I have to say, the crowd let me down on this, or let everyone down because I didn't feel that the crowd really responded um, to this. Maybe they were shocked. What did you think, Sai? I can see what you mean. I can see what you mean, and I agree with you. By the way, or or, or at least can can sympathise and go along with what you say about not knowing this happened. I've seen so much, well, not just WCW, I've seen so much wrestling in my life. Sometimes a lot of it blends into one. I've been watching for over 30 years and, you know, it, my memory, as many people will attest to, especially our good friend Dan Griffin on the Doctor Who pod, my memory is not the best. Danny actually can attest to this as well. We've been talking all week about planning recordings and trying to work out our recording schedule around my new work hours and when Danny's three as well. Um, Despite discussing it all week, I still text him about an hour beforehand to say, what am I watching today? <laughs> Danny's got to tell me what Nitro we're up to. Um, <laughs> so it goes to show how my memory works. So, But I, I, I'm assuming I must have seen this before. Mm. I, I'm assuming. But I think I'm wrong in that assumption. I don't think I have ever seen this. Because I surely would remember this. Surely. But Sting comes out and he's wearing a long black leather jacket. His hair is a bit longer and it's dark. And he's got the white face paint on with just a couple of black lines. Almost like a precursor to what the Sting face paint becomes, in a way. So it's yeah. kind of like the first sighting of Sting moulding into the Crow version of, of Sting, I feel. Yeah. And again, I don't remember it at all, mate. No. No, um, when he said he would be gone and he'd be popping up whenever he felt like it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, they'll keep him off TV until next year or something like that. But, yeah, um, I believe Sting uh, said he got the idea for the um, crow face paint, not from the crow, but it was from a Marilyn Manson uh, magazine cover that he was in an airport with, which contradicts Scott Hall's story about watching the crow in the cinema. <laughs> um, okay, now I've I've never heard the Marilyn Manson story before. Oh, I'll send you the uh, clip after this. Yeah, yeah, if you would please, that'd be great. Yeah. I've, n I've never heard that before. The yeah. way the way I've heard Sting not necessarily talk about the face paint, but the character. 
and we're jumping months and whatever ahead in the timeline here, of course, but we might as well discuss it now since we've just seen uh, the sort of very beginnings of it. It is it to what I've heard Eric Bischoff say, and I think I heard Kevin Nash talk about it as well, and Sting himself, is that Scott Hall came up with the idea for the whole aspect of the Crow Sting and basically ripping the film off. And I mean, if you've never seen The Crow as well, by the way, anyone listening, go and check it out. What a movie that is. But um, the whole guys, the, the long leather coat, the, the sort of guy, this vengeful, almost superhero character. Hall was the guy who said, well, why don't we do this and sold it to Bischoff and Hogan loved it as well and so on. I think even Hogan has said that it's Scott Hall who mm. who came up with this. Um, now, there's, don't get me wrong, you can't really ever put any faith in anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. But <laughs> when you've got others saying the same thing, perhaps you know you have to sort of go along and maybe the Hulkster is telling the truth on this occasion. But yeah, this instance, I don't remember this at all. I mean, Fake Sting comes out to Sting's music, first of all. And then the whole of the NWO come down through the crowd. And they're ringside. The real Sting comes out as fake Sting has JL in the Scorpion Deathlock. Real Sting grabs fake Sting and hits a Scorpion Death Drop on him. NWO do not react. They don't get in the ring. They don't help their guy out. They just stand there and watch. They don't even look upset. It's like they kind of just don't really give a shit about this guy. <laughs> and Sting hits a couple of Stinger splashes. And then the NWO get in the ring. As you know, he hits a couple of massive elbow drops as well, which at that stage, you can see the tights he is wearing are black, but on the side, you still got the rainbow scorpion. So you've yeah. still got a little bit of a throwback to, I suppose, almost surfer sting or the most recent incarnation of sting that we've seen tagging with Luger and so on. Um, Bobby Heenan is yelling about the real sting being with the NWO because he's wearing black and he's got the black and white face paint and so on. The NWO get in the ring and they cut, you know, the main guys take it in turns to talk Sting over. I, mean, I think it's Kevin Nash says that he, and he quotes John, uh, Jim Morrison from, not John Morrison, he was never in the doors, but, you know, he quotes Jim <laughs> Morrison from, from the doors and telling him, tells Sting that he needs to cross on over to the other side yeah. uh, or come on over to the other side and so on. And then we just get Sting saying, this guy is a cheap imitation. The real Sting might not be in your price range. Hinting at maybe he can be bought, which is a bit of a heelish thing to do. He then says, the only certain, the only thing certain about Sting is that nothing is for certain. And then just gets out the ring and walks away. Whilst the rest of the end, of, well, the end of the year just kind of stood there. They help at fake Sting and go, oh, never mind, mate. You know, you're our buddy again now. Sorry we didn't help you earlier when this guy was kicking your ass. <laughs> and that's kind of the end of the segment. Now, with regards to the crowd, I, I get where you're coming from. You would imagine, on paper, reading if you had if you had that segment written out in front of you in black and white, Sting comes back, Sting's in the, in the ring, attacks fake Sting, Sting's in the ring of the NWO. You would imagine the crowd would be going batshit crazy. However, they've just seen fake Sting. Then they see this guy in the ring with his face painted white. Do they know that's real Sting? Are they thinking that's another fake Sting? 
we've got Bobby Heenan screaming that this guy is the real Sting and he's joining the NWO. Are the crowd thinking the same because he's wearing black and white? Does that maybe hinder the babyface pop that Sting potentially could have got if he'd ran out in the multicolored gear and everyone knew this is the real Sting? No sign of black and white, no NWO hints or anything. I don't know. Maybe the yeah. maybe the whole the whole segment was sending mixed messages, and I think maybe the mixed messages were intentional. Yeah, yeah, I can see that as well, man. And it's it's all part of the story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, we're also then told Randy Savage is here. To which point Bischoff runs off to go and try and speak to Sting. So we've lost Bischoff now for a moment. Uh, then Benoit's music hits when we come back from an ad break. Benoit comes to the ring and then just gets treated like a spare part for the rest of the episode of Nitro. He's there to wrestle, and apparently he's there to wrestle Savage. But Savage comes, and this puzzled me as well. I'm not sure what you thought about this. But Savage comes out to what people are describing as his street clothes. He's not dressed to wrestle. Do you think Randy Savage walks down the street looking like? I mean, he probably did, to be fair. But can you imagine? Be, can you imagine being in the local shop, and someone comes in and goes, "You know, excuse me, where's the milk?" And you turn around, and there's a guy dressed like that, a black cowboy hat, black glasses, the crazy hair, you know, black leather trousers. I mean, black leather trousers for crying out loud, cowboy boots, a massive leather jacket covered in tassels. You think this guy's going to rob the place? Surely. Surely, mate, but I have a question for you, Sai, about this. Okay, go on. How many cows do you think were murdered uh, to get that outfit out of Randy Savage? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's head-to-toe leather, isn't it? Yeah. It really it's is. everywhere. But I've never seen much a man dressed like this, so this must be a one-time thing. But um, if you watch that um, WWE program, Most Wanted Treasures, they, they went recently went on a macho man... Um, uh, costume and ring attire and robe and everything like that and um, hunt and please there was an tell excellent... me they find this gear no <laughs> oh. but there was an excellent point made that when they go and look for certain wrestlers um gear it's all like tattered and all falling apart 20 years after the fact macho man's gear was always impeccable and it's always like it's brand new and it's true because the man spent a fortune on ring gear and he always looked fantastic so it yeah. really really um paid off years later that uh, unfortunately all his legacy is in these houses that never get to be seen by uh, fans but um mm. i would love to see if somebody has this in their collection definitely <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a look it's definitely a look. <laughs> with regards I'm to savage the sunglasses weren't leather as well <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with regards to Savage and his ring gear and the work he used to put into these sort of thing, things, yeah. I go I go back to um, you know late eighties, early nineties WWF time, and the stuff he used to wear when he was alongside Sensational Sherry when he was the Macho King, it was just so ridiculous and over the top. But a big favorite of mine is WrestleMania Four, where we had mm. the the one night tournament to crown a new WWF World Champion, and Savage won the tournament. Uh, I, I was about to say spoiler alert then, but I mean, fuck me, this was 1988. <laughs> if you haven't seen it already, then, you know, that's, that's on you. Um, <laughs> and Savage wrestled four times that night because that, that was the size of the tournament. Uh, 
each time he wrestled, he had different gear on, different entrance gear and so on. But Elizabeth, who came to the ring with him, had a different dress on, different jewellery on, different earrings and so on as well that coincided and matched Macho Man's gear for every match. And I just thought little touches like that are what sets aside a great, I won't say wrestler because you know, wrestlers can come to the ring in black trunks and entertain with wrestling ability. But when it comes to the presentation of your character, little things like that set aside the, the good from the great, don't they? Yeah, really well said, mate. Yeah, and Macho Man is definitely at the top of the list. Yes, indeed. Um, this is, I don't know. You messaged me earlier on, Danny, saying that this episode of Nitro is amazing and you loved it. Bit of a spoiler alert, I suppose, because we're not at our ratings yet, but <laughs> I, I watched this, and again, I've never seen this before. I must never have seen this episode of Nitro before because the Sting thing doesn't ring a bell and this bit here doesn't ring a bell either. This is the last segment of the Go Home show for Halloween Havoc. And their main event is Hogan versus Macho Man, who is the guy who is spon- who bought in the sponsorship with Slim Jim. He's in the world title main event. It's a massive deal for the company. And the Go Home segment has Savage dressed like some cross between The Undertaker a motorcyclist and some kind of leather crazy gimp. And <laughs> he's staring at a TV screen, watching more footage of Hogan and Liz. Well, basically they're on a film set and straight away, Hogan is in the gear he wears for his character in the film. Three ninjas. Is that right? Yeah, that's the one. So he's got his hair really short and brushed in a really odd way. He's got a funny little moustache, so the black beard is gone. He's just got the blonde bit of tash. So instantly, he doesn't look as cool. And then he's wearing this weird, almost Power Rangers, yet stripped back outfit. And talking to the camera about this is the director of the film and all this sort of stuff. And then the giant turns up. And this is all shot in black and white, because obviously it's NWO. Then the NWO music starts playing in the background as well. And they start talking about the giant being the new director. Things are running. It's costing me too much money and so on. And we've got to get something else shot. And then there's Elizabeth there. And she's saying, please don't make me do this anymore. And the giant and Hogan are forcing Liz to say she loves Savage on film. To mess with Savage's head going into the pay-per-view. Have, have I got that right? You've got better nose than me <laughs> because it was a little hard to understand. Um, yeah, I, I feel like WCW, I mean, obviously scheduling and things like that, but I feel on a go-home show, a Hogan appearance wouldn't have went amiss at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. This kind of pre-tape thing... It can work. Of course it can. Um, certain wrestlers, uh, they reach a certain point in their career, and maybe Hogan here in 96 has hit that point. I don't know. In his own head, I believe he he has. I don't know if he has in reality, though, but um, Brock, Brock Lesnar, now. Yeah. Uh, Roman Reigns, now, to a degree, I think. 
I mean, you could even throw Sting in the Rock. Yeah, you could even throw Sting in AEW into the into that bracket with regards yeah. to when he actually wrestles. They are a special attraction. Yeah. So having a video package, an interview, whatever, saying, oh, I will be at this event and I'm wrestling, you know, that can work because then people who, it's the old adage, isn't it, I suppose, of absence makes the heart grow fonder. So it's that thing of, we've not seen this guy for two, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever it may well be. He's at the pay-per-view. I'm excited. I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. It's, you know, it's as simple and straightforward as that. But I think they missed, I think they missed the mark a bit of this because it was just, it was just weird, you know? It did feel like that. I mean, Hulk Hogan with that. I mean, I thought it was a, a, um, a week he was wearing like a hairpiece or something like that. Um, it just, yeah, you nailed it totally when you said he doesn't look as cool as he did. I mean, you look at the week before when he was in the ring and um, the whole NWO was in the ring and it was cutting that vicious promo and it was spray paint, spray painting. Um, there was beating down the nasty boys. He looked so cool there. And then mm. this, it was like, why are you here? Like, I mean, obviously he's here to sell the pay-per-view, but like, you just didn't look as cool as you did. And yeah, it's like, also, where was the NWO I found? I mean, the giant was there, but did the giant appear earlier on? I've been tasked that on the Nitro. Yes, he did. Yeah. That's an odd one. Yeah, but again, this is footage. Uh, Bischoff has oh, yeah. pre-recorded footage, so that does make yeah. So it yeah. does make sense, yeah. It was just a weird one for me. And then Savage goes to walk away. Eric Bischoff very kindly apologizes to Chris Benoit, <laughs> who still stood in the <laughs> ring like a lemon, wondering what's going on. Oh, you're not wrestling tonight, Chris. Sorry, pal. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. And and Savage goes to walk away. Bischoff carries on talking to the camera before Savage comes back. And then cuts a really strange, especially by his standards, subdued promo, where he uses the word fragile a lot. Yeah. And he says about relationships are fragile. You know, bodies are fragile. Friendships can be fragile. Then he looks at Bischoff and says, business Bischoff can be fragile. Which I felt was a bit of a that that felt odd, and I don't know why. Maybe I'm yeah. seeing something there that's you know not there. I don't know, but and then he turns back and says, "Yeah, well, Hogan, you need to remember that life is fragile," and then walks away, and everyone starts reacting like Savage has said he's going to murder Hogan. Yeah, See, I, I took it wrong at first. I watched this a couple of times, and at first I was thinking. Has he just um, said that he's going to kill himself? <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. Because they've messed with his head so much with his ex-wife and everything like that. He do- He's walked out of Saturday night uh, rather than wrestle at uh, Roadblock. Now he's not yeah, wrestling. Yeah, you can't Chris blame Benoit. him for that, though. <laughs> now he's not wrestling Chris Benoit and he's just turned up in this complete get-up and it's like, I first thought, oh, is he actually saying something very scary there? Or, and then after watching it a second time, it just felt like, yeah, he's saying it to Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I didn't really understand. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get it. I think, I mean, we'll say this later on, but I think 
the last segment and the segment uh, before it should have swapped places. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But I suppose we're looking at that in hindsight. Yeah. We're looking at that now in 2023, uh, you know, in hindsight. Yes, I, I agree with you. That would make more sense. However, at the time, and again, I, I think they are right, maybe going back, you know, probably contradicting myself a little bit here. At the time, Hogan is the guy. The heel Hulk Hogan is the guy in the business yeah. at this point. With regards to interest, I'm not saying in ring by any stretch of the imagination. That you know, the the guy in the ring in 1996 works for the other channel, you know, and he's that that's Shawn Michaels. But with regards to interest and heat and and drawing money, Hogan is the guy. Savage is his challenger and a big part of the whole Slim Jim sponsorship and and all that sort of stuff. I can understand why this went on last because this is the segment that leads to the main event of the pay-per-view. So I can kind of see why they structured it that way, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, Okie doke then. Before we run through... No, I'll tell you what. We won't do that. We will give our ratings first and then we'll run through what we can remember it will be on the pay-per-view in uh, a few days' time. So... I guess all that is left now with regards to this episode of Nitro is to give our woos and our brothers our plus points and our negatives and all that good stuff. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny, what have you got for us, mate? So, um, uh, with the oh brother is to me, like, I know, I've, I know I'm going to contradict myself because, um, uh, there did feel like a, a little bit of um, filler was on this show, but um, when with my woo later on, um, it'll, I'll explain why. But yeah, I did feel like a little bit of um, filler was on this, especially early on when we had Craig Pittman, uh, bloody road blog, <laughs> and things <laughs> like that. But no, yeah, that that would be my. Also, um, no real backstage interviews because. Um, Obviously, me and Jin is still away, but I did. I noticed that we were going from match to match to match. Um, sometimes it's nice to have some backstage interview, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yours. Uh, my old brother. This week, there was a couple of things I could have put. the The ending, the last segment was weird. Yeah. I didn't quite know what they were going for, so that could have been it. But at the same time. I'm intrigued and I am interested in that main event. So that kind of just scrapes by. Um, there's a few other bits in there. The the finish to uh, the Harlem Heat match was very close to being my old brother this week because it was just a fucking mess and it ridiculous. <laughs> um, but my old brother, this, I can only really go one place, mate, and that's Roadblock. What the <laughs> fuck was all that about? <laughs> no, certainly, yeah. Um mm. In regards to Wu, it would be just look at compare last week to this week, and every well ninety percent of matches on this were clean finishes. Um, you can count you can count out the main event, obviously, but if you look at the first four matches on this, we all had very clean pinfall uh, victor uh, victories and submission with Di Malenko. Um, 
I just wrote down, like, I feel a change in the booking is happening there. But then again, I've been duped before and they've had a nitro where they've had all clean finishes. <laughs> and then the next week is back to double disqualifications and Nick Patrick pissing about. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I was happy with what the clean finishes. I was very, very happy with most of them. Okay, fair enough. Uh, my woo this week, again, is incredibly simple. Coming in very close was Luger showing a bit of charisma yeah. when things went wrong in his match and not just standing there waiting for someone to you know push him in the right direction. You know, that was quite quite a nice moment for me. Uh Dean Malenko is always fucking brilliant. And whenever the guy wrestles, he's always very he's always either he is either my woo or very close to being my woo. Arn Anderson cut a promo, always gold. But I'm gonna go for Sting because as odd again as that segment was and the crowd reaction wasn't quite what we would normally hope for. The fact that Sting came out, and I mean, this is 1996. This TV is what we're talking 20, I don't know, 26, 27, 28 years old, or whatever it may well be. Yeah. It popped me. <laughs> I sat there and I was like, whoa, it's actually Sting. Because I can't remember that happening. So, yeah, the fact that this television program that first aired in October of 96 got a reaction out of me like I was watching an episode of some wrestling show this week live, I think is testament to that program and how bad my memory is. So Sting (laughs) is my woo this week, buddy. Um, Hit, miss or middle in then, Danny? I'm going to go over hit this week. So, I mean, I think, I really think the finishes did it over for me, but also the story of Sting. Um, and you can count uh, the Macho Man's outfit into this as well because we, we're big fans of that. Um, yeah. That's what I'm going to dress as now. That's, that's, yeah. how I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to dress for this year's chain wrestling Halloween special. I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to be sulky, macho man, savage. That's what I'm going to do. Do it. You've already got the hair <laughs> in the beard, so. <laughs> well, I, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a bit more grey in mine than savages, but there we go. <laughs> so it's a hit for you, yes. Yeah, yeah. How about you, mate? Just, and I mean by the skin of its teeth, it sneaks into hit territory for me. Mm. Because uh, there was enough there to keep. Uh, at no point did I find myself picking my phone up. At no point did I find myself wanting to skip. At no point did I find myself checking the time, thinking, oh, God, how long is left? That's a good sign. <laughs> However, it gets marked down a bit because of some of the nonsense and the Hogan dressed the way he was and and uh, and so on. But, yeah, it just sneaks into hit territory for me. I would, regardless of how critical we've been of certain moments, I would watch this again. So if I watch yeah. it again, I think it's got to be up there. Definitely. Mine is the roadblock match, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um <laughs> the thing is I know he hangs about for a bit, so that's the scary thought. But there we go, never mind. <laughs> so very quickly before we depart and give out our socials and all that stuff, uh this is the go home episode of Nitro before the pay-per-view, which makes it the go home episode of Nitro Nights before Halloween Havoc. So, as always. We play a little game where Danny tries to run through the card and see what he can remember is on the big show coming up. What we will be talking about next week, just by what WCW has told him and reminded him about. So, Danny, what have we got next week at Halloween Havoc? 
Well, from what I can remember from this show, as I'm just scanning my notes quickly, we have Di Malenko will be taking on Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight uh-huh, Championship. Yep. Um, we have, uh, I remember the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett as well is happening. Yep. Six is going to be taking on Chris Jericho. Um, just going through. Oh, the Outsiders are going to be taking on Harlem Heat for the tag team belts. Yeah. And... Hollywood Hogan versus Randy Savage will be happening as well. Yeah, that's all I can remember. <laughs> can you yeah. fill in the rest? Or <laughs> um, The only other match that springs to mind is Luger-Anderson. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I try and think of the title. The only, other t- the only other title is the TV title. I don't think we've had a TV title match announced. Oh. So that's pro- pro- probably not going to be on the card. Uh, oh, DDP Eddie Guerrero. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can't be far away from the whole card, then, can we? With what we just listed no. there, surely. No, I mean, we don't have um, Sting wrestling or anything like that. So mm. yeah, yeah, the Steiners aren't about at the moment for whatever yeah. reason. I think they're in Japan, maybe at this stage. I'm not sure. And no Public Enemy, which is weird. <laughs> yeah i kind of like that but anyway <laughs> <laughs> there we go uh join us next week where we will be reviewing halloween havoc 1996 danny before we depart my friend do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online they can chuck you a follow and also catch up with all the other brilliant shows you are involved in please Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be sp- we'll be going into spooky territory with the great Cy Powell for Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Oh, I wonder if we're going to have one of those brilliant, brilliantly <laughs> cheesy entrance videos. I know the er- earlier in the 90s, you had Tony Schiavone acting all pedo and trying to tempt kids into his house and stuff, didn't you? But yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. We'll have to see. Uh, anything I am involved in, you can find, as always, via the network that carries this show. And that's SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, and all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. And also on YouTube and Twitch and all that stuff. Uh, we have all sorts of live content available to you as well so chain wrestling is live on a monday night uh, in the corner is live on a wednesday looking at modern day wwe and checking out the action there over the last seven days with a brilliant benny mac and tyler peters we have a gaming show at the weekend as well on a sunday looking at the world of gaming and i can't even try and dive into what that does because i ain't got a bloody clue i'm an old man when i used to play computer games it was all on cassette that's long ago i used to do it but listen to these guys because they know their shit uh we have live football coverage coming to the network live football watch alongs interact with fellow fans whilst you all watch the shows in the comfort of your own home with the volley with matt willis and various other members of the sjp world media network and guests and yeah 
all of those shows also come out in podcast form via the network if live content isn't your thing and again you can find all of that at sjp world media make sure you check a subscribe that's the most important thing and the thing i implore everyone to do subscribe to the youtube channel sjp world media there but most importantly you can find this show itself on twitter and facebook at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights there we go next week then danny it's pay-per-view time bloody love pay-per-view day we really do mate we better get our halloween costumes out indeed indeed we shall and on that note i'll speak to you next week my friend take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening